My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. Jim Norton makes suicide funny, kind of funny. And I respect the hell out of him for that. In a world where words seem to matter more than intentions, we all need to take a pause and consider the complexity of mental health and why we feel like we need to keep hiding, hiding it or hiding behind words or hiding behind undesirable thoughts. Right now, comedians are clearly either thriving or drowning during this pandemic. And although Jim says he is lucky enough to be doing well, the truth is simply that he has spent years honing his craft of self-deprecation, honesty, and coming off as a deep thinking dickhead. But, spoiler alert, he's really a nice guy. Uh, as evidenced by this interview, and by the fact that he didn't file a restraining order against me during my attempts to woo him onto my podcast. You can find out more about Jim on his website, jimnorton.com. Follow him on Instagram, at jimnorton. I personally highly recommend checking out The Degenerates Seasons 1 and 2, currently on Netflix. You can also find Jim on his podcast, The Chip Chipperson Podcast. And, of course, there is his uh, Sirius XM radio show on Faction Talk, where Jim Norton and Sam Roberts entertain us for four hours every day. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Jim, um, first of all, you're the nicest guy, considering, like, two nights ago, I, I watched you simulating sex on one of your specials, like, um, a lot. Which special was it? Um, it was an older one. I have watched both of the Degenerates 1 and 2, and so I don't know what when this was, but once I started stalking you, I decided, like, in for a penny, in for a pound, hardcore <laughs> stalking. Um, my husband has seen a lot of your face and um, comedy, and he's, I think he was a little worried you were going to call the cops. Um, no, no, no. I, I appreciate it. And uh, it's funny. I don't watch my own stuff unless I'm editing. Like if I'm doing an edit, then I'll watch it, but I hate watching it. So people are like, yeah, so the thing you did, and I don't know, there's a couple of them that I love that I did and a couple that I hate. Like, um, so I always ask which one just out of curiosity because some of them yeah, I really like. I feel like it was like, a, I, I don't know. I think I might be making this up. I feel like it was like an Asian horror joke, but that might be something I'm just making up. I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but um, stocking pays and you finally said yes. And I actually sure. was kind of concerned that it wasn't going to be you and I was going to be catfished. So really? Yeah. I, it's funny too. <laughs> I get so many people that tell me, um, Hey, there was an account pretending to be you. Um, sometimes it's a person I know and they sent to stop my account, but I've gotten, I would say I probably get one a month, maybe more. Um, if it's the same account doing it. And I had a girl one time 
say, I've been sending this guy nudes and I thought it was you. And I don't remember if she contacted, it might've been before Instagram, it might've been on Facebook, but it wasn't me. It was just some strange account and I felt bad and I felt like some guy got the pictures. <laughs> I'm annoyed because I was meant to get those photos. But yeah, people should always test, always test. Um, yes. And you should also probably not send nudes. I'm just saying. I know, I know, but I'm old enough to, uh, you are too, like. Sure. Eh, I'm a little worried. Um, yeah. So, um, so what gave me, well, first of all, I, I ran out of fucks a while ago, like the rest of the country. And so, yeah. um, and the other thing is I was watching some comedy and, um, I must've been the first descendant, um, it's not called the descendants. I'm a mom, so I keep saying the same thing over. Degenerates. That's what yes. I meant. Yeah. I, I know, but I don't want to tell people about the descendants and then they. It's, they'll be it's a George kids. Clooney film. No, it's. Oh my God. Do you not have kids? No. No kids. No kids, so you don't know. It's actually a Disney. Um, oh, it's, mm -hmm. it might be. The, wait, hold on. Which was. Now, this is going to drive me nuts. Hold on. George Clooney film, The Descendant. You, you're probably. I'm, I'm, what am I getting wrong? I'm getting something wrong and I know Google it. it. That's why we have computers. Um, no, The Descendants is a story of the children of all of the fairy tale princes, prince, ah, princes, like good guys okay. and bad guys, and they fall in love. Um, and I also a George Clooney film. Both, but we're both right. They're two oh. different movies. He was about to think like a Hawaiian guy or something. And, and he, it was a big plug for American Airlines. It was a really weird movie that I did not love. I t now I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> it's not great. Um, but, uh, you know, I decided I might as well harass and see what happens. But no, really what happened was, and I think I mentioned this a little bit to you in, the, um, in my email, is that um, I, I'm a psychologist. I have a blog on psychology today. I have a podcast. Obviously, that's what we're doing now. Yeah. And then I, um, oh, I have my first book was finally to be released. And... Um, it's a self-help book. I never wanted to like write self-help. I don't believe in vision boards. Um, for right. a little while I was on painkillers and I believed in essential oils, but I probably would have believed in anything. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the opportunity came to me to like back science with um, my emotional co-authors, you know, essential oil-esque beliefs. And a lot of the things she spoke about were backed by science. And then uh, as we were doing the finishing touches, kids in my neighborhood started killing themselves like a lot and like local neighborhoods. And I became the uh, expert on teen suicide. Um, and so I put this big thing together where we use, we're going to use a book launch to, you know, destigmatize mental health, then teen suicide and all these famous people I harassed into sending like signed copies of things actually. Sure. Um, Mike Birbiglia sent a copy of his, you know, his latest book. Uh, no, his latest book hadn't come out, but regardless. Um, and uh, Margaret Atwood, I have a signed copy of The Handmaiden's Tale. And then the book launch never happened because it was March 18th. And so my heart broke. Um, so after drinking a lot, I started exercising a lot and watching a lot of comedy and thinking about how bad things we thought things were. Right. Um, and then... Of course, I mean, I've been a fan of yours for a while, but what really got me was when you spoke about suicide and all of the, um, you know, how people feel like it's such a dangerous thing to talk about and it's such a, you know, whatever. And so I reached out to you and um, yeah, I DM'd you and promised you puppy pictures or interesting, weird suicide facts. And you took me up on it. So thank you. Sure. Well, there's also, 
Yeah, and, and I know the bit you're talking about in The Degenerates, where I talk about um, suicidal thoughts and yeah. wanting to do it. And it's funny because at the end of that bit, there's a, a line where I talk about a woman who stopped me at the comedy yeah. cellar <laughs> and said they're doing it. That woman reached out to me after the special and she's like, I saw that. Of course uh, she did, yeah. She's like, I'm so happy. I did another special where I, I made fun of some woman who was shitty to me on a dating app. And she actually reached out to me too. She thought it was funny. And she's like, yeah, I'm glad that you, you said that. It was whatever. So it's funny when you talk on stage, you realize that people will eventually see it if you're talking about them. So yeah, that woman reached out to me and she's like, I didn't mean that to me. I'm like, no, I know. Just but will you, will you share for our listeners who don't know? Can you just share what the woman said to you? Because it was sort of fantastic. I, no, I th- and again, if I'm remembering, because I haven't seen the bit since I've done this special, which was I shot that a year ago, which was at the end of this suicide, but a woman come up and said, I wanted to talk to you. I was in the Village Underground, which is the Comedy Cellar Sister Club. And I'm like, what? Because I really did expect to be scolded for the suicide Totally. Jokes. You're not allowed to talk about suicide. Yeah. Not allowed to talk about it. And she goes, uh, uh, I want to talk to you about those suicide jokes. And so I was a little, a little shitty with her. I'm like, what? And she goes, did you know that there are people committing suicide in convertibles where they're tying one end of the rope around their neck and the other end around a tree and they step on the gas? And I just thought that was such a great fact. Like, I, I think this woman's going to pull a rescue mission. Yeah. And, and she's, you know, she's giving me helpful hints. As if, like, if you think of it again, stupid, make it interesting for all of us. Right. So, uh, there's so much that could go wrong in that plan. You know? There really is a lot. Although I did read about, didn't, I read about some woman who was killed accidentally because her scarf got caught in the, in the uh, tire of her car. Like, oh. It was like a long flowing. And again, it could just be an old wives' tale. Um, well, no, but um, what's her name? Uh... Marissa Hartgay's mother, who was super famous for having big boobs, she died. Jane Mansfield. Thank you. She got decapitated. Um, she did. She went under. It was. I was, was a regular accident, though. I think I it was. I know. Uh, it's yeah. kind of exciting. Um, but no, what I liked about that is when I, you know, when I talk about suicide, like there's a huge difference between thoughts, feelings, and actions. And, yeah. Um, too many well-meaning parents tell their children not to talk about it, not to tell someone, and then you've got sh- shame, and then when they eventually do tell someone you've got guilt and like also like it god humor is what keeps us alive you know um i'm the kind of person where when something really fucking awful happens i don't want someone to give me that look you know oh i want that i want someone who'll make a joke like yeah with me and those are my my people and that's how i got that's how i got through my childhood and now it's how i'm getting through my adulthood so um I thought it was fantastic. And also, as I was trying to put this whole thing together in March, um, two things happened. One is a mother reached out to me angry that I was using the term committed suicide um, because of the connotation with like committing a crime. And so I was able to hear, like I heard her and we had a, you know, heart to heart, but also it did used to be a crime and it is still a crime in some states. And it's a crime against nature. So technically, uh, regardless of the reasons or the mental health issues that cause it, it is, it is a crime against nature. And somebody harping on the meaning of the word committing, yes. um, you know, they've, they have suicided. That's just more, George Carlin raised a great point about how we think if we change the language, we change the condition. Yeah. And uh, here's what you did. You fucking killed yourself or you committed yeah. suicide. That's it. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how you phrase it. Uh, you know, there's still a line full of grieving family members. That doesn't cause people to do it. And phrasing it differently won't prevent people from doing it. No. Um, and you know, also, the- it is a commitment. 
Like it yes. is a commitment. Yeah. It's a, like, that's like, a, that's more than a, a haircut. Like it's, it's a commitment. It is a commitment. And um, you are, you're trying something and uh, it should be looked at as in a way a crime, you know, because it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing to do. And it's a selfish thing to do, even though a lot of times you do it because you're in pain or you do it like, you know, the times I've, I've, you know, done harm to myself or really obsessed about it was you're not thinking about hurting people next. You're not thinking about the people who are going to grieve because you feel unimportant. Yeah. So it's like the selfish part of it is like, you're not realizing you're going to hurt them, but it's not like you're sitting there going, fuck my parents. Like that's the only reason at some points that I didn't do anything like that was because I yeah. love my mom and my dad and I just can't put them through that. Um, you know, like as an adult adult, but you're thinking that nobody gives a shit and it's not in a, like no one cares. It's like, look, I'm worthless. It's, I gotta go. Uh, it's, it's not, you're not looking for anybody to bail you out. You're not looking for anybody to talk you out of it. Um, you know, and, and there is a commitment there to it because uh, the times I've done it, um, I always had an out or I usually had an out, you know, people who commit suicide don't have an out and they don't leave themselves an out. Right. Um, so I come from the different perspective. I am the child of a mother who has repeatedly attempted and like quite poorly honestly like yeah if you don't know why you're supposed to do it in a bathtub for the hot water like are you really serious about that you know um probably nine or ten times and will still lives to die another day and so to me it's it took some wrapping my brain around what the woman was saying like i i would feel it if it were my kid but i do think it's selfish as the child of someone Agree. I, I totally agree. And what you're, I think what you're describing is somebody who is emotionally manipulating people through uh, cries for pity and attention. 100%. Um, I mean, when you, it, it is a selfish act because you're not, you're thinking of yourself, but I'm talking about people that just pick up a gun and blow their brains out. A lot of times you're feeling like I am, I'm valueless and I have no reason to live and they're not going to miss me anyway. They're better off without me. And then you have what you're talking about, which is somebody who is, looking for attention and who is really using like weaponizing suicide. They're weaponizing their own demise to get people to do what they want them to do, which is to show them attention or affection or drop what they're doing. And that's really manipulative. Yeah. It's very manipulative. There's also substance abuse that goes along with yeah. this, you know, um, it also occurs before, um, major life events, like before my, my brother's first wedding or like, um, I was pretty sure she was going to do it after his second wedding. Like the next day I could feel it, you know, coming. She waited another three weeks, but um, oh. you know, before my wedding, they announced that they were going to get a divorce, which of course never happened, but she's very like, um, which is what I think the fact that I've had to learn to laugh about it is why. Well, part of the reason why there's not a lot that offends me. I mean, she a narcissist. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's a total narcissist. Um, Total narcissist. The day I got my doctorate in psychology, I defended my dissertation and we were in the car and she sighs and goes, I remember when I got my doctorate and this bitch never got a doctorate, you know? And then she's like, but I wanted to be a, a, a good mother. Times were different then. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, yeah. So she's like, you know, the, the people that, and we all know people like that, you know, some of us have them as parents or so my, you know, my luckily my parents, don't do that. Um, but I know enough people in my life that have, and you start to hate the person. Like it's, it's hard for me to love somebody who does that because I don't care. Like I know it's, and, and my therapist yells at me for this too. Cause like I have a real, like I'm mentally ill. I know I'm fucked up. I 
know I'm fucked up. And yet I have such a harsh way to address mental illness because the part that doesn't get addressed is like, is, is the knowledge. Like when people are doing something that's so fucking selfish and they can help it. Like if you're crazy and you literally, you stab somebody in the chest and you sit there in the middle of the street with a bloody knife until the cops come, you're nuts. Like I believe you're mentally ill. Yes. And I believe that we, you know what I mean? That's a mental illness I can buy into. But if you're the type of person that is always making it about you, uh, and I used to say on the radio, is me, me, me. There's a manipulative uh, component to that and a knowledge that people are doing it and they can help it, but they choose not to. So I, I get really, a lot of mental, Ill, mental uh, illness, mental health advocates get angry at me for that, but I get really furious at that at that part of mental illness. I know, you know, I, and I told you that I, I mentioned this to you as I was stalking you and trying to, you know, swoon, make you swoon and come on this podcast. Um, so it worked. I, it worked, please. Um, I begged, I pleaded. I was like, he's going to fucking block me soon. So. No, you literally only asked, how long did we talk? We talked for maybe a week. Yeah, I know. Not bad. I mean, considering I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff. That was actually, this is one of the faster ones because normally I'm mean to do it. And then just like uh, you start to other stuff, but no, I, was, I wanted to do this one. Oh no! You see, you mistake that I'm saying it took a long time. I'm saying that I basically decided <laughs> I had no shame. That's <laughs> no, okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, when I um, you know, my whole I did this like hashtag ten steps to um, end the stigma. I'm looking around this room because because the event never occurred. I had at one point. I, Somewhere in my house is 150 copies of this stupid book and these stupid postcards that were supposed to spread this message. Um, and some, this woman, the head of the Long Island um, Suicide Prevention, something, something, reached out to me. It was like, so it's come to our attention that, um, you know, you're using uh, the words destigmatize. And we don't use the word stigma because just the mere thought of it provokes trauma. And I was like, oh, fucking A, like, and then I looked her up on LinkedIn and she's not a mental health professional. No. Yeah. She sounds like a real ass. And, and I'll tell you one thing, this whole, we don't use this. Shut up. We don't use, here's what the reality is. Uh, it, there is a stigma to it because it's a shitty thing to do. Yeah. And I understand the pain that comes with it. Um, not from a clinical point, but from a person who has been horribly depressed. So no one can tell me anything. I mean, I can learn about it, but no person can tell me that the language I use to describe it is wrong because I've, I, I know the feelings that come with it. And I know the feelings that come with uh, self-harm from experience. So none of that stuff ma makes you do it. None of that stuff helps you not do it. Little phrasings, little things that healthcare professionals do to make themselves more comfortable does not help people who want to put a pistol in their mouth. Um, you know, saying to somebody, you're nuts. Okay. That's not good. But, um, but saying this bitch wasn't even a healthcare professional. I just right, think she like, yeah. you know, like I, I, that was yeah. hard to bother me, but yes, you're right. I agree. You know, and doesn't it doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone. You know, I have a 17 year old patient who brilliantly described it as, um, she and I are both, uh, Marvel movie, uh, fans as of like most of the world, but you know, there's a scene yeah. in the, uh, end game where Captain America is fighting himself and she described that as like that that's how suicide is to you know like it's like a you're literally fighting with yourself over it and I thought that was brilliant um, I think the day you actually kill yourself it's not the day you decide to do it 
it's the first time you can't really talk yourself out of it. Because that's what happens most times is you talk yourself out of it, even if you're kind of trying to go through with it. You're going through with it, but you're leaving yourself an out. You're cutting yourself in a place where you know you're going to be found, or you even ask for help after you cut yourself. You know, again, there's the exception. People that jump in front of a train and live. I interviewed a girl who lost her leg and her arm because she jumped in front of a train and lived. Yeah, um, see, oh, all of ours, all of, my town was really big on train jumping for a while. Yeah. I don't get that one. Like for me, it would have been a pistol or a rope. I like a, a train jump is crazy. Like that's why I did that bit. Like she, cause that, that whole thing about being dragged under the, she, yeah. she described that she described being dragged under a subway car. Um, see, I'm, I'm always impressed with people who do that. And it's funny. Like, uh, when you hear about like Kate Spade or Bourdain, who I knew, um, you know, and when people like that do something like that, you feel a weird bond with them or Robin Williams, like, like, yeah, I get it. Like, I'm not saying it's right. And I'm not happy that they did it at all, but I get it. Like in those moments, I'm like, Oh, I absolutely know how you can get to that point where you just, you finally do it. You finally can't give yourself a reason to not do it. And you go through with it. You quietly go through with it. Um, Are you past that now or is it still a haunt? Yeah, it's both. Like, okay. it's not something I think I would do, but it's one of those things where it becomes, and I described this once in an article, um, where it, it, it becomes a comforting thought almost. Yes. It's, it's in case of emergency break glass. It's behind the glass like you know it's there. It's uh, because that it, part of it is suicide is control. Like, I'm controlling this thing that's frustrating so much and making me so angry. And if I know that that's there in the distance, then I don't feel as hopeless because that's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's an ugly light and it's a fucking train light, but it's a light. It's something as opposed to just going, I am lost and hopeless. And, you know, of the, but the fantasies of it, again, you know, in the 12, there's the 12 step program I go to, they talk about getting a misshapen pleasure out of feeling pain and you can get a misshapen pleasure, like a, whatever you would know, the, whatever the drug you release, it's dopamine, it's uh, endorphins, whatever it is that your brain dumps in you when you're going through these weird, sick fantasies, it's almost like when you have a toxic relationship, the, the fight high you get, that's that yeah. brain dumping that chemical. I mean, that's what it's like well, with suicidal thoughts. Dopamine is, it's actually like, it's known as the anticipatory um, uh, neurotransmitter. Uh, like when I'm teaching kids, I, I teach kids on out school because I'm, I don't know, I went crazy during this pandemic and occupied every second of every day. Um, but um, yeah. I talk about it as like the Amazon Prime neurotransmitter where it's like you know it's too thick uh, it's it makes you feel good to look forward to something so holding on to those um suicidal fantasies may be triggering the dopamine in a way that oddly enough may be keeping you alive you know um i have a patient uh, maybe. Who the same thing he's like i'm not gonna it's like he went through a real like years of like really serious shit and had electroconvulsive therapy and um you know, and some side effects from that, but now he's, you know, he's awesome. And he's just like, no, but I'm never going to, like, I'm never going to let go of that idea. It's still there as you put it in case of emergency. Yeah. Yeah. But it is weird. You're right. It is the way that you're always giving yourself this dose and, and it's like, a, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, there's a carrot in front of you. But it's a noose. You know, you just keep chasing it. But you know you're not going to actually catch up to it. But just knowing it's there keeps you – that fantasy can keep going and I can get that drug thing whenever I want. And a lot of times it shuts off. 
it, 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 like if you have too many problems, you don't know how to work them out, you're not sure what to do with them, that shuts that off. Yeah. Like, because then you just fantasize about that, shut down. Like it's comforting in that weird way because there's no resolution with that. You know how that ends. That's, you do it, done. Um, and I'm, again, I'm not saying it's a healthy thought, but it really is. Uh, it's a thought. I mean, I understand yeah. healthy, unhealthy thoughts, but even, but that's a judgment and it depends on what we do with it. Yeah. You know? Um, so I don't want to take away your unhealthy thought thing, but um, you know, but I, I, I don't know. And as far as the news though, like um, that's a hard thing to plan. And that's the one that I often explore, you know, men are more likely to go for like the, I'm going to hang myself. And then, we sort of try to figure out where they would do it. And there are, it's, it's, a, it's actually tough in most people's houses or lives or whatnot. Um, yeah, where? You know, where, right. And how do you know it's going to hold your weight? And you put, you pointed out the thing about the chair. No way. Yeah. That would be yeah. my moment of, yeah. Um, couldn't do that. But men obviously are, um, so uh, men, particularly minority men are the least likely to seek treatment and the most likely to, kill themselves and also the most likely to use a weapon which is why their success rate is so effective so um you know whereas women are very bad at it fortunately um yeah you know it's funny it, it, it's weird because there is that there is a stigma to it like regardless of that woman said uh that's why people don't get help because it is it is stigmatized and it's embarrassing and it feels weak and if you know, it was a, a buddy of mine, Eric, used to talk a lot uh, about mental health. Um, you know, he was a really very, uh, pretty popular, uh, well, uh, Eric Aruz, I think his last name was. And I say I think because I knew him from a, an anonymous program. So I knew him for, you know, over 20 years. And, uh, you know, I know him as Eric A. Uh, but he was big on, uh, on talking about suicide. He eventually did kill himself. Um, but he was a very respected speaker and he raised a, I saw one of his speeches one time and he said, mental illness is a physical illness or a mental disease is a physical, like it is physical. Like it's not just this thing in the atmosphere. It's, it's, it's chemicals and it's, yeah. it made it really like, yeah, I guess you're right. It is a physical thing and we separate it. Like if you have a bad heart or a bad arm, we look at that differently than if you have bad chemicals in your brain, but they are both physical things. And he kind of changed the way I thought of it. Like I was less harsh on myself and less harsh on other people because like, yeah, it is a physical thing. It's not just thing where you're like, all right, come on, come on, come on, go shopping, feel better. You know, it's, it's not that way. It's like whatever it is physically that makes you, in chemically makes you fucked up as a physical thing. Right. But so here's what happens to me. Like people come to therapy. I tell them, what they should do. I'm not cognitive behavioral. I'm much more like, you know, lay on my couch and sweet whisper sweet nothings in my ear because that was how I was trained. No one lays on my couch. But regardless, it's a process. It's an introspection. It's, you know, learning more about yourself and understanding. And um, on the rare occasion when I'll suggest something to someone and they won't do it, and then like week after week we have the discussion, I'll be like, can I ask you a question? If I were a fucking oncologist, would you still be questioning me? Like, you know, what, it's a, it's, it's, if I'm telling, you know, if you're saying, if you give instructions, because it's the brain, we all think, well, we all have a brain, we all have opinions, you know? Um, so that being said, I also describe, I, 
I mean, being a therapist is literally like taking spaghetti and throwing it to the wall to see what sticks because yeah. the same thing doesn't like, I can have a brilliant thought up here and you're like, that's not me at all, Lindsay. So, um, you know, it's funny with therapy, uh, a good therapist, what I find what they're good at is getting you to dig into your own brain a yes. little bit, like um, making connections that you might not see, like just little and, and the fact that they're disconnected and pretty much don't give a shit. And, and you know, because again, you're just a client. It, it makes them a, uh, an impartial observer, which a lot of times their judgment is not as clouded because they're not affected by it emotionally. Like, you know what I mean? Like, my, I, like I know my therapist cares about me, but he sees things from the outside. So he hears me and he hears my bullshit and my nonsense. And I think he is able to hear things a little bit more for what they are because he's not my girlfriend or he's not my, you know what I mean? He's not so close to me that I'm affecting him on a daily basis. He's able to just hear me coming in once a week. Um, and he asks smart questions and he tells me if I'm doing something right. And he just goes, let's go back to that just for a second. Uh, you know, tell me a little more about that. Like he doesn't bark out orders. He just kind of knows eh, that didn't sound right. Let me go back a little bit. And then he gets me to do it. And it, which is great. Um, yeah, I disagree. I do. I, I do care. I mean, obviously I care about my patients, but, um, you know, I do get emotionally involved, invested, you know, obviously. And, um, once a week therapy is a minimum, Jim, has no one told you that? Um, yeah, I've been going once a week. Um, I, I don't want to go more than I'm too busy to go more than once. And I don't, I, I get bored with it fast. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that I'm going, um, and you're saying that therapists do care. Maybe you're right. Like, you know, again, I can't come from that point of view because I'm not a therapist. So I, I could be wrong about that. Um, you know, I, I say that not even as a criticism, but more as like, you know, I, I no, know I wouldn't be able to listen to people. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the blathering people do, how you guys listen to it is beyond me. Um, but yeah, once a week I go, I, I don't want to be in a place where I'm too dependent. A lot of it is just, I know what I have to do and don't want to do it. Right. A lot of the times it's just me not getting my own way and I'm mad about it, but I know deep down that's what it is. I'm just not getting what I want and I'm not happy about that. Right. You know, I will tell you, I think that um, uh, a lot of, I think that there, listen, I think the therapists are the craziest people I know. We definitely yeah. got into this to figure out what the fuck was wrong with us and or our families. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I think that there's a darkness to therapists that is also a darkness to a good comedian. You know, there's a um, a line there. I don't mean that either one of us are going to go out and murder someone. No. I figured out where to put the body, though, if we do. Sure, sure. Text me and I'll let you know. <laughs> Please. Um, but I, I do think that there's, it's, I don't believe in true altruism. And I believe that, like, we want to help people also to feel good about ourselves. And oh, like, yeah. yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's, again, 12-step programs are based on that, uh, that in order to keep it, you have to give it away. In order to uh, stay healthy, you have to help somebody else get healthy. It, you know, again, it, it's the human, can, it's, it's, like, it's like nature built in this thing which makes us community animals. Like, I have to do this. If I want to feel better, I got to help somebody else. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? If I want to figure out what's wrong with me, I got to kind of get into what's wrong with you. It's this weird thing that makes us, interact um but yeah I, I know what you're saying like i i think most people get into a lot of their jobs or a lot of people do to work out whatever it is they need to work work out i mean if that wasn't the case if we weren't affected by shit like that then 
girls with abusive dads wouldn't marry abusive guys. Exactly. Or, or guys with overbearing mothers wouldn't marry an overbearing woman. You know what I mean? We just reenact shit from when we were four. 100%. If you have a parent that's a narcissist, you're more likely to marry a narcissist. You know, it's one of these uh, uh, things, whatever the diagnosis may be. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So how... Because when I look back at a lot of these comedy shows, I'm like, wow, we thought shit was bad. Then. <laughs> yeah. And now here we are, you know, how, but you are clearly continuing to kick ass in the, you know, pandemic, whereas. Thank you. Uh, no, thank you, because we need you. But um, what do you think's got you? I don't know. Why do you think you've kept it together and others have fallen apart? Um. I mean, look, I've had my moments of, uh, I've been more optimistic about this than other things because to fall into the negative, I'm almost scared of how deep that pit is. Sure. Like that's a scary place. It's like you're keeping yourself out of the pit because you know this is a, and I also think it's easier that no one is really doing anything. Like as a comedian, you know, uh, yeah, get Chappelle shot that something in front of a socially distanced thing he did, you know, uh, uh, Chelsea Handler just shot something with, you know, a smaller audience. Because, like, there are people who are active, yeah. but most comedians are not doing much. So when you see all of your peers, or 99% of them, in the same boat, it makes it easier. Yeah. But if I was the one not working and they were all doing stuff, there's not that fear of missing out because I'm, I'm, no one's doing anything. So I think that's made it more bearable for me. And I feel lucky. I do a radio show. I do podcasts. And I'm really lucky to be able to work. I'm really lucky to be able to do it. Um, so it's made me more grateful yeah. for my life than anything. Like this sucks, but I'm really, really grateful I can work. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been interviewing comedians because I'm curious about the then and now. And then also I realized how much it was affected. And, you know, you're right. Little things are starting to open up. Um, yeah. Uh, Fairfield, Fairfield Comedy Club in Connecticut. And then I know the New York Comedy Club just started doing outside things, you know, like outside venue shows, whatever I call them. Yes. Um, but I spoke to someone yesterday that I will be uh, shocked if this person manages to survive this whole thing, just because the devastation, the despair, the anger, it was, um, it was like everything that's bad against 2020 had entered this person's, it was like the shining actually. Yeah, well, they were angry at their own situation or at the injustice of it or angry at God? Not God. I don't think I could have handled it. It was God. It was like, a, you know, a pandemic denial. It's a political issue. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And at which point I was just like, oh, if I can't, because it's, I feel like if I go down this rabbit hole, it's going to be, it, uh, I'm going to be talking to a flat earther soon and I can't do that for my own, you know. Yes. And do you know how I've, I, I've gotten myself out of that? What happens is, I, and I, the way, I guess the only way I can like think of it is this, this, these furious power-driven arguments. Politics, it's a, it's a fucking lie. It's the truth, you idiot hick. You know, the way people talk to each other and yell. Yeah. It's not about the pandemic. It's not about Trump. It's not about the it, It's about being right. Yeah. Everybody digs in and wants to be right because their identity is wrapped up in being right. Right. And it's almost like the jet stream. When you look at the jet stream, which, you know, takes you faster west coming east, you know, you, when the plane gets into that, it's just like, shh, and that's what it's like with being so 
angry and furious and digging in. And if you can make yourself dip out of that a little bit and just not be so obsessed with being right or being heard, everybody wants to be heard. And they want, they want, we all want the moment, not they, we all want the moment of everybody going, you're right. That feeling you get when you're having a debate with somebody and you win, like it, it, it's a great high. You know, Bobby Fischer talked in chess about breaking somebody's will. Right. And, and that's what we want. We want that moment of people going, ah, I understand. Yes, I see it. And we are frustrated that we can't make people see it. So people get angrier and fucking angrier. And people like that who won't admit that there could possibly be flaws in their thinking just like the other. I just lose interest in talking to them. I do too. Yeah. No except, interest. Um, well, except, you know, my neighborhood Facebook group is pretty funny. Um, uh, I'm in Long Island. It was well, it's a wealthy suburb. People get very upset when their cars get broken into and then say, oh, guys, my car got broken into last night. Remember to lock your doors. I don't even think that counts as burglary. I know it does, but I don't want to yeah. do it because if you're that fucking stupid and entitled, if you, you know, um, but, um, but on Facebook groups, they're so, you know, unfortunately, suburb, I'm still a suburban mom, despite the shit that I do. And, you know, whenever I go on, there's some horrible or racist or angry argument going on. And I just, uh, I kind of will watch for a while. And then sometimes I'll just say science and then float away again, because yeah. that's really all the explanation you need, you know? Um, I try to get involved in those and, I, and I've seen them too. People I went to high school with and it's all about me, meaning I'm, I am the only one that can stop myself from participating in that shit. Like I don't really, I'm not really active on Twitter anymore. Like I'll tweet once in a while, but I don't check at mentions. I don't get, I don't address people who are saying things politically that I don't like because who gives a fuck? Like, it's like literally not my business. Like yeah. y you feel this way about Trump or, or Biden or whoever it is you, who cares? Like what? Why do I feel a need to step in and be right? And that's where everybody misses. You know, we blame the people at the top, whoever they are. We blame them for being divided and angry, but it's not them. It's us. Yeah. We're selfish. We are demanding to be heard. We're demanding to be right. Um, and that's why nobody listens to each other. So I try not to get into those things. I, I don't ever address people on Facebook who are talking about politics because I don't care what they think. I get to talk on stage, so maybe I'm lucky I get to talk on the radio. Yeah. But I'm not interested in converting them because um, it's not my job. Uh, my job is not to educate people. Right. My job is to be funny. And if, it, if I am funny, I'm doing my job. And if I get my opinion out there, great. But it doesn't you have to change anyone else's. No, I agree. Although I do hate stupid people. They really bother me. They're annoying. Yeah, they are. They're irritating. I don't like stupid people. And um, I don't like people who manage to encompass like every bad thing. Everything, that, whatever. You know, I also think it's a tough time for everyone. And I think, um, oh, I think that we've got to film. Like, I don't even know where to start with all the issues we have you know and and also then do, are we not allowed to make jokes anymore like how far is this going you know where i don't know where it's going i think you're i think you as a comedian you have to either say fuck it and say anything you fucking want like before or work on your verbiage to such an extent listen my nine-year-old took an acting class online a few weeks ago and she comes running into my this is my office and she comes running in and she goes mom what are my pronouns? I'm like, you're starting a nine-year-old class. Yeah. Like, I, come on, dude. I don't know. Like, is it, you know, 
Uh, I'm not against it, but does my nine-year-old require, you know, like it's a weird question to me to ask. If you see the kids nine, like, I don't know. Well, it's because I don't believe it's real. I think that everybody is putting on a show for everybody else, either trying to be more woke or more contrarian. I, I feel like I'm watching a play. Everybody is in a play and they're just doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. And one of the things that we all do is we label each other. And I'm not saying, you know, I labels help, but it's, it's the judgment of the labels that are the problem. But it's like, oh, he's a Trump supporter. Well, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. Or he's a, he's a libtard. He's a cuck. Like, it's literally, we take one point of view somebody has, and we take that and we put a, we put a stamp on that person, and that's who they are, and that's what they represent. You know, and we, no one, we don't give anybody the ability to be complex, to be like, yeah, I believe in the death penalty and abortion. Right. I believe in this and that. Like, you know, you know, we don't give anybody, it's either you're either a Trump supporter or you're a cuck or you're this or you're that. Like, it, you know, you're a, you're a anti-masker. We just have these little names for each other. <laughs> and like, we, we just use that to define a person's entire being. And we're all guilty of it. And yeah. that's the problem. We don't like to admit that we're guilty of it. Um, and I was on a political podcast talking to some guy who's an analyst for CNN. And I'm like, but both sides do do it. And he was disagreeing with that, saying that it's kind of a cop out to say that. But it's not. It's like literally to say that both sides don't do that is to literally put yourself in a position where you think that you're righteous and everybody else is wrong. And that's just stupid. And it's not realistic. It's yeah. just not realistic. So we I try should, not to get crazy with that stuff. We should just call everyone cunts when we don't like what they say. Absolutely. A cunt's a great word. A great word. And people get so angry. And there's no way to misinterpret it. No. You, you know, you called her a cunt. Yeah, but what I meant was, like, we all know. No. Yeah. We all know what cunt means. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, a harsh insult. Although in England, it's not that harsh. Really? But it is funny that comedians are getting attacked. Like, it, and again, I don't believe the attacks on comedians. I, I think that these causes, like, of course, police shootings, sexual assaults, and like violent rot, like all these things are real causes. And, and the attention behind them is real and legit. But so many times when people are trying to get you in trouble for things you've said, not, I'm not talking about, you know, things you've done, but if you've said something that doesn't hold up 20 years later and they come after you, yes. the, the cause is just the Trojan horse they're using to get in because the real goal is people like to pile on. People yeah. like to pummel somebody. People love a public execution and no one admits it. Like, yeah. that's what I would love to know. Why are we all so dishonest that we can't just admit that we like to see somebody executed publicly? So, hey, that guy said something in 1997 that doesn't hold up. Let's get him. And then they think they're on this righteous side. But it's like, no, you're just using that cause as a shield to run behind as you go to kick the shit out of this guy publicly. Right. Things change. It's funny when I'm talking to, talking to the kids about like, some of the famous early, you know, uh, psychology experiments that were like really fucking unethical, like the one where they locked, you know, college kids in a prison and made half of them guards and half of them prisoners. And they all ended up scarring the shit out of each other. Or like, you know, there was uh, another one where they were pretending to shock another person, you know, like, I don't know that we've really learned from that, but, or, or um, little Albert where um, Wayner, Rainer and Watson, Watson and Rainer, two dudes, whatever, went, um, it's all probably two white dudes, went and they're like, let's see if we can really fuck up a, a baby. 
Like, and they created a phobia in a nine month old baby and then just went touring around, <laughs> around the world, like bragging about it. Like, you know, and no one said boo. They were like, wow, this is fascinating. You know, um, they did discover something fascinating. Do we undo that now? Because, um, uh, they were totally unethical and self-centered. What was the phobia? Um, they made him afraid. They made um, a little Albert afraid of a white rat. A white rat? Yeah. What they did was every time they showed him the rat, they would um, take a hammer and bang it on a very loud pipe. Um, if you want, when I'm teaching kids, I go like this. But I do it really loud. But it wouldn't sound good for the podcast. Um, and then a few years, you know, it just so happened to be that during their tour, um, there was this woman um, who is Mary um, Cubbins, I'm blanking, it doesn't matter, but she heard of it and she was like, you know what, I could use what they did to undo a phobia in another kid I have. Um, and she invented behavioral therapy, which down oh. millions. So, um, you know, with all the bad comes some good, hopefully. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. That makes sense. You know, but it is difficult to, you know, when we, and I try, and again, because everyone's loading up on information in a way that we've never had to do it. People have never dealt with this before. It's the first time in human history. We've all had everything at our fingertips, all information. We can all weigh in. We can all have an opinion. We can all have our first reaction immediately heard publicly, you know, fuck it. It's a lot to expect us to do well with. Um, so knowing that all I can do is control myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to change anybody. I'm not going to change uh, anybody's perception. So all I can do is not feed into it. Like there's been a few times people have been said things on Twitter where I wanted to attack them. And I keep, I stop myself. I'm like, shut the fuck up, Jim. They're not talking to you. It's none of your business. Yeah. Like I'm not even following that person. Like they're just giving an opinion. Why do I need to have them know what I think? Who cares what they think? It's not important to me. Uh, we overvalue other people's opinions. And we put reasons on it like, well, that's how Nazi Germany started. I know, I get it. And we can all find <laughs> extreme examples. You know, it's like me when I was 13 trying to win the argument. But mom, what if, you know, yeah. like people try to find the extreme. And it's like, we know that that's not what we're talking about. Um, listen, when I was in college, I, I wrote for the, uh, I basically had an entertainment. They just let me write whatever the fuck I wanted twice a week. I don't know how I got it. I talked myself. I'm persistent, as you know. And um, the first time I got hate mail, I was like, holy shit i okay someone's reading and it was fucking fantastic um you know so uh when some to me i try to look at that side that i've said something that's i've said something that's poked you for whatever reason right that's probably more your shit than mine so um you know um jim thank you so much i know you have a busy schedule where should people what are we directing people towards you're doing everything at once you know, yeah, I'm doing mostly uh, the radio show in the morning with Sam Roberts um, on Sirius XM Monday through Friday. I'm uh, Monday through Thursday. And then um, I do the UFC podcast. I do the Chip Chipperson podcast, which is a character that I do, which um, is fairly hateable. But people do people who like it really like it. And people who hate it, I don't blame them. <laughs> um, you know, it's a really irritating character, but it's got like a weird appeal to uh, a small segment of the population. Uh, that's those pretty much the three things I'm doing now. Um, no stand-up dates. They've all been pushed back. Because again, you, you know, we just don't know exactly when things will be. And I don't want to have to have people plan for a Saturday and then three days before. They're, oh, no, they're only letting 40% in or 20%. 
I'll wait a few more months. I think it's a smart idea, though. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I hope not. I mean, I've been trying. New York has been so incredible with the numbers. Like, literally, everything has been right. But the delays in indoor dining, these delays that are keeping the numbers low. Part of me thinks that New York just wants to keep their stats low. Like, there's going to be a little jump up when people start eating indoors again. You can't avoid it. Right. Um, and I know. I, I, we're doing well, but out in Long Island, people have run out of fucks and they just don't believe in it anymore. Um, it exists. It does, yeah. I think people are willing in a way like, all right, look, we got to, you know, now that they say cases in Europe are up again, but deaths are down. Like, at one point, we have to get back to it. Like, we don't have to be careless about it. We can socially distance. We can wear a mask. Like, I believe I'm fine with wearing a mask and gloves when I work out. I, I wear gloves and a mask. Um, but we do have to start moving again because we can't have half the population not working. I mean, you know, it's like we, we it, it's, it's like at a point now where it's like people have been okay. It's we're six months into it. Like I, what the fuck do they expect? You know, we got to start moving here. Um, I know I hear you. Um, thank you again so much. This was, wonderful. you're welcome. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, and if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.